Pridecast episode 10. I'm your host, Danielle Dupuis, and I use the pronouns she, her, hers. Today, we're joined by Maya Carey of HopeWorks Howard County. Maya, welcome to Rainbow Pridecast. Hi, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Like Danielle said, my name is Maya Carey. I am the volunteer program coordinator here at HopeWorks of Howard County, which is Howard County's Rape Crisis, Intimate Partner Violence and Human Trafficking Response um, and Intervention and Prevention Organization. And I use they, them pronouns. In a previous conversation, you mentioned you attended uh, Athleton High School. Uh, When did you graduate? So I graduated in 2014, so not too long ago. Okay. Now you mentioned that it was a little difficult. Um, You felt a little um, isolated there. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah. um, So I had a really great group of friends when I was in high school. Um, I I felt really welcome just being a person. I was in choir and theater and everything, so I was really artsy. um, But I definitely felt a little bit isolated being one of the only out queer people um, in high school, so isolated to the point that um, our uh, Gay Straight Alliance um, had been canceled for the last like three years. And, you know, me being me, who is like uh, an inner activist, um, decided that that wasn't okay. So I started um, Spectrum, which was Athleton High School's GSA, and really got to uh, find out, though I was the only out person in my grade, there were other queer and trans people in the school who were looking for a community just as I was. Um, so it was it was quite isolating to know that like no one understood my experiences. no one no one really got what it meant to be queer outside of, you know, the the crude the crude um, way that they portray um, lesbian and and gay and bisexual people on um, on TV and in movies it felt really weird to be in a place where I was the only one and I had to represent for an entire community um, but I had a really great group of friends I made a lot of queer friends um, which was kind of the start of my my um, making my my queer family. Um, but it was definitely hard because though I had a, a supporting twin sister, she was really the only person who who could really validate my experience. So when did you start the Spectrum Club? Um, so I came out in 2012. And then in 2013, I started um, Spectrum after I had been going to Howard County's PFLAG Rainbow Youth Meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, I met um, some other really great queer activists in Howard County. Um, so I started that. And, you know, <laughs> I am pretty unapologetic in who I am. Even back then, I was pretty unapologetic. So I was really forcing things that didn't want to happen. Um, I put on a number of events, you know, the typical day of silence. Um, we put on events for Ally Week. Um did workshops on like pronouns and um, and on identities and everything. And so I think it was more of me forcing acceptance rather than anyone really hoping to gain any queer trans knowledge. Um, but I did see, you know, once we started, you know, tabling and, and showing people that we're here and we're queer and we're proud mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, there was, there were people who were having conversations that I wouldn't have ever expected them to have. Um, 
And I found that my ideas about people, because maybe they were raised in um, a conservative household or, or they had strict religious parents, you know, those ideas that I had about people were falling to the wayside because I was seeing that they themselves were individuals just like my, um, I myself was an, am an individual. Um, so it was great because I was kind of forced to have these difficult conversations, but it opened my eyes to how expansive um, people can be and, and the views of one's parents and their household does not necessarily reflect the views of themselves. So you were not only breaking down barriers for uh, the LGBTQ community, but you were also breaking down these own biases that you may have previously had, and that kind of opened the door for you as well. Yeah, for sure. That's that's awesome. Um, now, as the saying goes, hindsight is twenty twenty, and um, looking back on your years as a high school student and now as an adult, what do you think would have helped to make your high school experience like? even more positive? Like, would there be anything that you would have done differently or that you wish that your peers or your teachers would have done differently? You talked about your, um, you know, that you had a really good friend group, which I think is awesome. I think every, you know, kid should have that in school. Um, But is there anything that you wish would have been done differently for your teachers or maybe even parent support? Yeah. Um, well, I, I wish that it would have just been part of the conversation. I, one thing that I talk about in my work as a prevention educator working on gender violence prevention is being an inclusive and um, and like person positive sex education program. I think as a queer person, um, it's really hard to see yourself when the only times people are talking about sex ed is when they're talking about the um, about the pipes, like what mm-hmm. is what is what is a fallopian tube, and not actually talking about pleasure and stuff. And and when we whenever we did talk about sexuality in health class, it was very binary. As we all know, um, queer and trans people do not always subscribe to the binary, and and, and I, I just wish there was more conversation about that. And, of course, language has changed since 2012 or 2010 yeah. when I was first in health class. Um, so I think that's one thing I wish would have changed is just more of more inclusivity in the way that they talk about relationships, the way that people talk about pleasure and, you know, safety and sex, um, just making it inclusive of all different types of sex and all different types of relationships, whether they be romantic, sexual or platonic. Um, it also would have just really helped me if I saw an adult who, who I could identify with. Um, I don't think I met my first like queer teacher until I was in college. And it was, it was a huge eye opener, um, to see someone in, in a successful position who was so outwardly free and open towards themselves and, and, didn't feel like they needed to hide in the closet. And I think the only reason I had such a, I was so brave in high school was because I had internet platforms like Tumblr to, um, you know, connect with other queer and trans people from around the world. I didn't have that. I didn't have anyone to look up to in high school. I didn't have, I had a good friend group, but I didn't have anyone who experienced things the way that I did. It was all, it was all kind of whatever I said was, what was said for the whole community. Um, 
So it would have just been really nice to know that there are other people like me, because I know there I know there are um, queer and trans teachers all throughout Howard County public school systems. Um, Danielle, you're one of them who works in the school system. Um, so I just wish there was more openness and, and freedom to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, I just, I really wish that my teachers, even if they weren't queer and trans, they would have been better allies. You know, there mm-hmm. was much derogatory language thrown around in the schools. Um, so much just ignorance thrown around. Um, and I know teachers can't control what comes out of kids' mouths, um, but having an advocate there, um, someone to like uplift and and stand up for you um, is really important. And sad to know that I didn't have that. Okay. Um, I'm sorry you had that experience, but I'm hoping that, you know, maybe with this podcast and with some of the other things that we're doing and, and advocating for LGBTQ plus um, students in the community, that hopefully those things will, will be changing um, now. Um, yeah, and I, I totally, I work with teenagers um, and just hearing the difference from their experience to my experience is mind mind boggling. Not only are kids nowadays talking about gender and sexuality, like outside of the bedroom, but they're talking about, about it as allies. They're talking about it because it's a social issue. They're talking about it because it's political. And and those conversations just weren't being had in the same way when I was in high school. So like, even, even from the start, like 10 years ago, it's, it's changed so much. Um, so I know, I know there's been progress made. Yeah. And I think we're going to keep making progress. Um, and, uh, you know, there's always, I think, new things to learn. And, you know, I think it was very forward of you saying that, you know, you were even having a gender pronoun workshops back when you were in high school. And I mean, honestly, as an educator, I hadn't even heard um, about non-binary uh, pronouns and things until probably around, you know, it was just, it was just a few years ago, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it was students that brought it to my attention. Um you know, we learn a lot from, I know, I know teachers are there to educate, you know, the students that come in, but I learned so much from my students. I learn uh, just as much from my students that I hope that they learn from me. Can you tell us uh, what, so you said you came out probably in your, what was it, your sophomore year? Mm-hmm. Yes. What, what made you feel comfortable to, to come out? Um, well, I guess I'm going to separate that into two categories because Okay. Came out to my family and then I came out to my friends. And um right. I felt comfortable to come out to my family because I have multiple um queer and trans family members. Mm-hmm. Um, my my uncle is is gay. I have a bunch of cousins who are gay and bisexual and, and lesbians. Um and so knowing that <laughs> it made it easier, even if I did have a lashback um, against from my family, I knew that I could throw it in their face. Well, well, so and so is gay, so and they, um, their parents accept them, so you have to accept me. Right. Um, so I kind of threw it at them and and had that mindset because I knew there was already people in my family. I knew that like even if even with my parents feeling uncomfortable and the discomfort and the total mind shift of having a straight child to having a queer or and or trans child is is very vast but i having that knowledge that there were other people in my family was really helpful um 
And then I have a, I have a twin sister, like I said, um, and she is my best friend. And I, she was the first person that I told and she had my back 110%. Um, Oh, that makes me feel so good as a twin mom. I'm, I, you know, I have twins, um, you know, and right now they do a lot of fighting, but every once in a while I see that they get along. So it gives me hope. <laughs> oh my gosh. We fought so much when I was a kid, but, um, and we still do, we still live together, but um, we, she's my best friend and she's my number one supporter. Even if we fight, I know she'll have my back. So hopefully your twins will, will have each other's backs. I hope so. Um, and then um, kind of coming out to my to my friends was a little bit different. I, I wasn't as scared. Um, I, again, had a really close group of friends, but it turned out, unfortunately, that when I came out to one of my friends and I asked them to to be quiet and, and not share it with anyone else, they told the entire school. Um, oh, no. And so I was I was really forced out of the closet um, to the broader public just because I had a friend who couldn't keep their mouth shut. Um, so that was, that was, that was hard because I kind of, I didn't have the choice of keeping it quiet and keeping it confidential. Um, and I think kind of having your business spread to everyone that made it easier for me to be like, well, I'm just going to lean into this. Guess I'm going to be the spectrum president. Guess I'm just going to do this and that. Um, wow. So you really took like a, a negative situation and turned it around and made it really positive. Yeah, I don't know yeah. that I would have done the same thing. I think I probably would have retreated and, you know, been quiet and probably never come out of my bedroom again. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that you did that. Um, I think that's super strong. And I hope that while I hope that that doesn't happen to anybody else, you know, we, unfortunately, we know that it will, um, you know, but I hope that they take it and turn it around just like you did. That's, that's it, it was really hard. I don't think I would have been able to do it if I didn't have the support of P flag Howard County and the rainbow Alliance, because that was a group um, that's a group for, for queer and trans um, kids. And I had the first person that I could see uh, and she was um, a senior when I was uh, in ninth grade. And she was the first black lesbian that I ever met. And she was just so empowering. And I, I'm still in contact with her today. Um, And just having her, to look up to like even if I didn't know her that that personally like she she told me to like fight for myself and this was also I was coming out in the midst of marriage equality in Maryland um mm-hmm. in 2012 um and so I just felt like if I'm gonna do anything it's gonna it's gonna have to start now um so I know it's not easy for everyone but I think that's the that's the fighter in me wow well that's awesome and that's great that she gave you some positive advice and and what have you too um, and so you knew her from school or from P Flag Howard County? P Flag Howard County. I think right. to like uh, Howard High School. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna have to look her up and see if we can get her on on the podcast too. She's she's a um, a, a queer teacher in um, Denver, Colorado. I can connect you oh, if you. Wow. Yes, I would love to. Would she love does to. a lot of teaching specific. She's I think she's a, a first grade teacher, but she um, she is so passionate about being inclusive of of minority groups of of talking about really tough situations to kids so that they understand and can and I don't know she's great <laughs> I'll connect you with her 
That's awesome. Um, yeah, I look forward to having a conversation with her too. So tell us a little bit about um, HopeWorks Howard County. Uh, what What is the mission of, of HopeWorks? Um, so HopeWorks is Howard County's intimate partner violence, um, uh, uh, rape crisis, and human trafficking um, resource and prevention center. So mm-hmm. For the most part, HopeWorks has been known to focus only on intervention work. So we have um, a couple of different departments. We have a 24-hour helpline that is um, housed out of um, out of grassroots, which is next to Athelton High School. Um, so the 24-hour helpline is staffed um, all the time. Um, and so people can call in and um, speak directly to an advocate. Um, get tips on safety planning and stuff like that. Um, so a part of that advocacy department is um, safety planning. It's connecting people to other resources um, and making sure that uh, people who are uh, high lethality or who have a high chance of being harmed um, can get a safe place. Um, and then we also have a resident a residential shelter. So we have two transitional shelters and one crisis shelter. Um, safe house. And um, our safe house is a place where families, um, regardless of gender um, of the families or the age of the families, um, can come and stay for up to three months. And then our transitional house lets um, clients stay for up to a year. Um, So part of our, um, part of the residential program is case management. So we have case managers who help people get benefits. So whether it's trying to sign up for WIC or um, or sign up to get social security benefits or whatever it is, we help people navigate the um, social service um, sector. We also help with um, rapid rehousing. So we have a rapid rehousing fund to help um, our clients get back on their feet, um, you know, make first, um, first month's rent, um, connect them to jobs, get them job training, that type of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So we don't provide all of that stuff, but we help connect them to those resources. Um, and then we have a legal department. So our legal department um, focuses mainly on peace and protective orders. And then additionally, um, we do have lawyers who also help with um, specific um, family court uh, legal matters like divorce and um and custody battles, but mostly our lawyers and legal advocates are focusing on um, getting peace and protective orders to our clients as fast as possible. Um, so in um, addition to that, we have a clinical department. So our clinical department is made up of about six, six or seven clinicians. Um, and we, we take clients of all backgrounds. So um, um, that means adults and children. Um, and so we have in-person therapy, um, individual therapy, and then we also offer group therapy. Um, typically that would have been held on um, Tuesday nights, but this is um, group therapy specifically for women who are um, are in intimate partner violence situations. Um Finally, I am in the community engagement department, and so we do all of the prevention work for the um, for the organization. So, as as the prevention educators, we go into schools, we go to youth groups, we go to um, community organizations, and we talk about healthy relationships 
healthy relationships, talk about uh, safety planning. We talk about bystander intervention. Um, and we also have a bunch of other programming as well. So we have a boys and men program coordinator who focuses on working with boys and men about gender violence and connecting them to to this field so that it's not only the weight of of gender-based violence prevention isn't only on women and, and femmes. We also work with long-term survivors doing tertiary prevention, which is prevention um, for survivors who um, are out of crisis. So we do a lot of arts-based programming with our survivors and throughout our normal programming as well. We do um, transformative language arts programming. We put out um, two magazines, two arts magazine, a youth magazine, and then an adult arts magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have our podcast. We do, um, uh, we have a volunteer program. So we we do most of the community connection, um, both connecting community who have not experienced gender-based violence and connecting our past clients to um, continue on their healing journey. So you, you mentioned that you go in and do workshops for building healthy relationships. Is there, if there's like one or two things that you wish the LGBTQ plus community knew about, um, you know, having a positive, building a positive and healthy relationship with someone else, what would it be? I think one thing that I see a lot of LGBTQ youth doing um in relationships is is one it's it's probably rooted in trauma and and not feeling safe in your in your body not feeling at home in yourself um, and that is caused a lot of young people in LGBTQ plus relationships to really dive into the obsession part um, so instead of creating healthy boundaries between um, about what you want and what you need um, a lot of um, queer relationships just start becoming very codependent because Maybe you haven't had someone to um, help you regulate your emotions before. Maybe this is the first person who's given you the love and affection that you felt you needed. And so it's really easy to kind of ignore your own personal boundaries and get really obsessive with with that other partner. So I think I think it's really important that we teach kids from a young age that they have a right to say no, they have a right to say yes, they have a right to continue on their lives as an individual instead of being part of a of a unit that makes them lose themselves um we as as queer and trans folks are taught to assimilate um we don't want to be seen um because that might mean danger comes our way um and i think that mindset is 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 harmful for a bunch of reasons but specifically in relationships because um it's just a driving factor in losing yourself. Um, and for people who are manipulators or who can see the, the quote unquote weaknesses in, in their partner, um, it's easy for them to kind of take hold of that characteristic. And so I think setting, teaching kids how to set these boundaries, teaching kids to value themselves as much as they value their partner in a relationship is very important in creating a healthy balance um, and helping to make sure that there isn't um, other factors of abuse happening like isolation um, and that these kids continue to to focus on themselves as individuals and and see themselves as a core part of, of a relationship rather than a relationship as being two people inseparable, undeniably in love without any, any differing ideas. 
I think that's great advice, not just for our LGBTQ plus community, but for the general population as well. Um, you know, as you're talking, I can kind of, you know, visualize um, even, you know, acquaintances or people that I've known in my life that kind of fall into that category. And of course, at this point, we've lost touch because of the, that type of relationship kind of excludes other people. Um, yeah, I, I think in general, we just need to talk about relationships on a broader scale. We've really, really pinpointed our ideas of relationships into romantic, sexual and platonic. And, um, and there's one way that you treat one side of that relationship. And there's one way that you treat the other side. And there is no fluidity between those two. There is no idea that at the center of those relationships needs to be you and and your boundary setting. You can't be in a healthy relationship if you, if you, um, if you don't know yourself and, and that takes time. And I think especially for, for kids who have experienced trauma, who haven't had those healthy views of relationships or haven't had those healthy relationships with um, an elder or other family members, it's really easy to just hold on to whatever love you receive and see that as like your only option. Um, just really want people to know that they're worthy of love. Um, they're worthy of deep relationships, whether those relationships are platonic, sexual, romantic, or not. Um, and that though you're worthy of love from other people, you're even more worthy of love from yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I uh, think about my back to my grandparents a lot. My grandmother was known for great one-liners. And I remember her saying to me one day, um, don't date anyone you wouldn't marry. And I looked at her and I'm like, well, how would you know that? You know what I mean? Like, how did you know? But, you know, as I was kind of exploring relationships with people and whatever, it was just, I would know after the first date, like, you know what, I wouldn't marry this person. Um, You know, so there is, I think, a lot to be said for uh, knowing your um, inner self and making sure that you find somebody that's going to uh, be a good listener and um, be a good partner overall. Yeah. And I think it takes time. Um, I think especially since there's this idea that you have this one true love in life and and that may be true, but finding yourself as that one true love is much more important than finding your, your other one true love at the beginning of your life. You have all of your life to find um, the love of your life in another person, but you can't find that person if you don't love yourself first. That's great advice. Now, I understand that you're putting together um, or you're involved in putting together a new project uh, just for LGBTQ uh, folks. Uh, Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes. Um, So we're really excited. Um, During the next fiscal year at HopeWorks, which starts July 1st and goes until um, June 2021, um, we will be... we'll be starting a project called The Prism Project. So um, The Prism Project is HopeWorks' new LGBTQ plus uh, initiative um, of kind of creating community um, for, for queer and trans folks. Um, as an organization, we saw the need in our, in our clients and we saw the need in ourselves. Um, in Howard County, there isn't necessarily a, a good network of um, organizations that connect uh, everyday queer and trans people to each other. And so we wanted to be a source of that connection. Um, Part of that is um, by starting a couple of different programs. So we are hoping to start um, 
a queer craft group, which is called Quilt Bag. Um, so especially during um, the pandemic and while people are social distancing, we thought it would be really great to kind of create a space where queer crafters could come together and um, create space to just make together. Um, we know that a lot of queer and trans people find safety in, in making and creating. And so we wanted to create space for that. Um, we don't want to have too many rules and guidelines for how people show up, um, but hopefully by creating a space where people can um, can connect to each other while also sharing their passions um, for art and music and creativity, writing, whatever that may be, um, could be really helpful. And especially during this pandemic, we're trying to find unique ways for people to connect with each other. Um, another way, another part of the project is going to be a 10-week um arts and humanities workshop series specifically for LGBTQ plus folks. So um, this is going to be a 10 week session that mirrors our um, Ain't I a Woman program, which was um, scheduled to begin in March, but due to the pandemic um, got cut really short. Um, but this workshops um, session will be um, a place where people can connect to queer and trans artists, makers, and also um, think about the social social issues and, and um, ways to grow as a queer community. Um, and then we're also hoping to start a couple of other programs. Um, we're starting to start off the PRISM project. I'm going to be hosting um, a listening session for LGBTQ plus folks on Sunday, May 17th um, from 10 or from uh 10.30 to noon, um, and you can find the link to register at wearehopeworks.org slash events. But this is um, just a really great way to kind of start the conversation about the PRISM project. Um, we wanted to know what our community is looking for, what community looks for them, looks like for them. Is it, you know, a book club? Is it this queer craft group? Is it a space where we can have these hard-hitting conversations about um, inequity in this world? Um, is it a place where we can just relax and watch movies and have discussions about art and culture? Um, so we're really trying to do what the community wants and, and build something that lasts. Mm -hmm. Well, that sounds absolutely fabulous. I think, um, I hope you get a nice turnout for this. And this is just kind of going to snowball and get larger um, as you progress and move along. Um, but thank you so much for uh, the work that you're doing at HopeWorks and for joining us today. And um, I'm hoping to check out uh, some of those sessions that you're offering. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, if anyone is ever in need of some advice, HopeWorks has a 24-hour sexual dating and domestic violence helpline. Um, if you or anyone you know is struggling with um, an abusive relationship, um, a sexual assault, is worried about a situation that might be harmful, or um, please feel free to call our hotline at 410-997-2272. Um, that's a 24-hour sexual dating and domestic violence helpline. And um, you can reach us at wearehopeworks.org. Thank you so much for that information. And um, we'll make sure that that also gets uh, printed on the um the podcast information as well. Thank right. you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for, for joining us. The music featured at the start and end of our podcast is Work by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. 
licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0.